again. Strange that I should be preparing medicinal bark by the sugar camp fire, but I have to make this hay, not while the sun shines, but when the bark is loose, while the sap is rising. Wonder who will use this? Depends largely on where I sell it. Anyway, I hope it will take the pain out of some poor body. Price is so low now, not worth gathering unless I can kill time on it, while waiting for something else. Never got over seven cents a pound for the best I ever sold, and it takes a heap of these little quills to make a pound when they are dry. That's all of you, about twenty-five cents worth. But even that is better than doing nothing while I wait. And someone has to keep the doctor supplied with salicin and tannin, so if I do, other folks needn't bother. He arose and poured more sap into the kettles as it boiled away and replenished the fire. He nibbled a twig while he began on the spice brush. As he sat on the piled wood and bent over his work, he was an attractive figure. His face shone with health and was bright with anticipation. While he split the tender bark and slipped out the wood, he spoke his thoughts slowly. The five cents a pound I'll get for you is even less, but I love the fragrance and taste. You don't peel so easy as the willow, but I like to prepare you better, because you will make some miserable little sick child well, or you may cool someone's fevered blood. If ever she has a fever, I hope she will take medicine made from my bark, because it will be strong and pure. I've half a notion to set someone else gathering the stuff and tending the plants, and spend my time in the little laboratory compounding different combinations. I don't see what bigger thing a man can do than to combine pure, clean, unadulterated roots and barks into medicines that will cool fevers, stop chills, and purify bad blood. The doctors may be all right, but what are they going to do if we men behind the prescription cases don't supply them with unadulterated drugs? Answer me that, Mr. Sapsucker. Doc says I've done mighty well so far as I have gone. I can't think of a thing on earth I'd rather do, and there's money no end in it. I could get too rich for comfort in short order. I wouldn't be too wealthy to live just the way I do for any consideration. I don't know about her, though. She is lovely, and handsome women usually want beautiful clothing and a quantity of things that cost no end of money. I may need all I can get for her. One never can tell. He arose to stir the sap and pour more from the barrels to the kettles before he began on the tag alder he had gathered. If it is all the same to you, I'll just keep on chewing spice brush while I work, he muttered. You are entirely too much of an astringent to suit my taste, and you bring a cent less a pound, but you are thicker and dry heavier, and you grow in any quantity around the lake and on the marshy places. So I'll make the size of the bundle atone for the price. If I peel you while I wait on the sap, I'm that much ahead. I can spread you on drying trays in a few seconds, and there you are. Howl your head off, Bell. I don't care what you have found. I wouldn't shoot anything today, unless the cupboard was bare and I was starvation hungry. In that case, I think a man comes first, and I'd kill a squirrel or quail in season but blessed if I'd butcher a lot or do it often. Vegetables and bread are better anyway. You peel easier even than the willow. What jolly whistles father used to make. There was about twenty cents worth of spice, 
and I'll easy raise it to a dollar on this. I'll get a hundred gallons of syrup in the coming two weeks, and it will bring one fifty if I boil and strain it carefully, and can guarantee it contains no hickory bark and brown sugar. And it won't. Straight for me or not at all. Pure is the word at Medicine Woods. Syrup or drugs, it's the same thing. Between times I can fell every tree I'll need for the new cabin, and average a dollar a day besides on spice, alder, and willow, and twice that for sassafras for the Onabasha markets. Not to mention the quantities I can dry this year. Aside from spring tea, they seem to use it for everything. I never yet have had enough. It goes into half the tonics, anodyne, and stimulants, also soap and candy. I see where I grow rich, in spite of myself, and also where my harvest is going to spoil before I can garner it, if I don't step lively, and double even more than I am now. Where the cabin is to come in, well, it must come in, if everything else goes. The roots can wait, and I'll dig them next year, and get more and larger pieces. I won't really lose anything, and if she should come before I am ready to start to find her, why, then, I'll have her home prepared. How long before you begin your house, old firefly? He inquired of a flaming cardinal, tilting on a twig. He arose to make the round of the sap buckets again, then resumed his work peeling bark, and so the time passed. In the following ten days, he collected and boiled enough sap to make more syrup than he had expected. His earliest spring store of medicinal twigs that were peeled to dry in quills were all collected and on the trays. He had digged several wagon loads of sassafras and felled all the logs of stout slender oak he would require for his walls. Choice timber he had been curing for candlestick material he hauled to the sawmills to have cut properly, for the thought of trying his hand at tables and chairs had taken possession of him. He was sure he could make furniture that would appear quite as well as the mission pieces he admired on display in the store windows of the city. To him, chairs and tables made from trees that grew on land that had belonged for three generations to his ancestors, trees among which he had grown, played, and worked, trees that were so much his friends that he carefully explained the situation to them before using an axe or saw, trees that he had cut, cured and fashioned into designs of his own, would make vastly more valuable furnishings in his home than anything that could be purchased in the city. As he drove back and forth, he watched constantly for her. He was working so desperately, planning far ahead, doubling and trebling tasks, trying to do everything his profession demanded in season, and to prepare timber and make plans for the new cabin, as well as to start a pair of candlesticks of marvelous design for her. That night was one long, unbroken sleep of the thoroughly tired man. But day had become a delightful dream. He fed the chickens to produce eggs for her. He gathered barks and sluiced roots on the raft in the lake for her. He grubbed the spice thicket before the door and moved it into the woods to make space for a lawn for her. His eyes were wide open for every woven case and dangling cocoon of the big night moths that propagated around him, for her. Every night, when he left the woods, from one to a dozen cocoons that he had detected with remarkable ease while the trees were bare, were stuck in his hat-band, 
As he arranged them in a cool, dry place, he talked to them. Of course I know you are valuable, and there are collectors who would pay well for you, but I think not. You are the prettiest thing God made that I ever saw, and those of you that home with me have no price on your wings. You are much safer here than among the crows and jays of the woods. I am gathering you to protect you and to show to her. If I don't find her by June, you may go scot-free. All I want is the best pattern I can get from some of you for candlestick designs. Of everything in the whole world, a candlestick should be made of wood. It should be carved by hand, and of all ornamentations on earth, the moth that flies to the night light